Welcome to Preaching at Trinity. Preaching at Trinity is the podcast of the sermons preached at Trinity Baptist Church of Westfield, Indiana. We hope you enjoy this series of messages preached by Pastor Minton on what it means to be moved with compassion. Here is our senior pastor at Trinity Baptist Church, Dr. Daniel Minton. All right. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. We're going to begin a new series entitled Moved with Compassion. I'm excited for this. Uh, This has really been on my heart ever since we read Gentle and Lowly last year. And I feel like the Lord gave me a a good, healthy new perspective of Christ. And so I want to go through this. It'll be a four-part series we'll do over the course of the next four weeks. And we'll study just this phrase where this occurs. It occurs 13 times in Scripture the phrase moved with compassion. Actually, it occurs 13 times in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's 11 instances or 11 events where Jesus was moved with compassion and uh, responded with sympathy or pity for people. And so the question is, what interests Jesus so much that he would, at times, stop what he was doing and change his focus? What moved the heart of Jesus Christ resulting in him focusing his attention on the people around him rather than the the task or even the people that he was going to serve. And so as we study this phrase, we'll see the very gentleness of God is displayed to the broken people around him. In fact, we, we actually studied the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, And Matthew 5, verse 1, begins with the phrase, and seeing the multitude, and then Jesus responded. It doesn't say he was moved with compassion there. It just says he saw the multitude, and when he saw the multitude, it, it invoked in him a desire to sit and teach this multitude, which we are told is 5,000 men plus the women and the children. And so Christ's heart at times in Scripture and the Gospels, his heart was moved in such a way that he responded with incredible tenderness and care. And so we're going to study those. We'll look at all 11 events in some form or another, but today we're just going to look at one. And so would you read with me Matthew 9 and verse 35? We'll just read four verses. Verse 35 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sick and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that these tender words that you spoke to your disciples would not be lost upon us. That we too would learn as they learned what it meant to be standing in fields that are ready to be harvested. And Lord, that we would mirror your heart, how you were moved with compassion. And so Lord, I pray you'd fix our hearts this morning. Every one of us needs our hearts repaired 
tuned so that they mirror yours. And I pray you do that. We thank you for the chance to gather together to give you honor and give you praise. And so we ask that right now our attention to your word would honor you. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, notice right away that Jesus is moving. Verse 35 says, He went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And so we see right away that the gospel goes. In fact, the whole verse is really about the gospel. I realize it's talking about the sick and the people who need healing, but it's about the gospel. That's what he's carrying with him. He goes to the synagogues. In fact, he goes to every city and village, and he's carrying the message of the kingdom. So the message of the gospel goes. Uh, Jesus is not waiting for people to find him, although there's times where crowds, great crowds, follow him. But notice here, Jesus is going to the cities and the villages. Josephus tells us that there's 204 cities and villages in the region of Galilee. A city would be one that is enclosed with a wall, has a fortified wall around it, and a village would be a gathering of people that doesn't have a fortified wall, usually much, much smaller. If there's a synagogue there, then it required that there were 10, uh, 10 men there to gather in the synagogue. So some of these might be extremely small villages, and yet Jesus is going to them. He's going to where the people are. He's not waiting for people to come to him. And he's taking with him the message of the gospel. And so the gospel goes. Now listen, it doesn't mean he visited every... It says he visited every city and the villages. So it doesn't mean he visited every village, but it does mean he visited every city. The region of Galilee is rather large if you're on foot. And so Jesus is taking quite a bit of time here to find people. And we're going to see the type of people that he's finding. But the message of the gospel is quite clear. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Now please remember that this is following on the heels of John the Baptist and his message. And John the Baptist would have already gone through this area and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And his, his gospel or his message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is nigh or near. And Jesus is now preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom which is at hand. It's arrived. Because he's arrived, and he is the gospel. So Jesus Christ is the king of the kingdom. That's, that's the message that he's, he's uh, preaching or teaching, that the kingdom of God is here, this spiritual kingdom, a kingdom of restoration when God would take his fallen world and he would restore it, and he would do it through the power of the king, King Jesus. So it's the, the same gospel that you and I are familiar with. And he's telling people to repent. He's telling people to align with God. So Jesus Christ came to restore mankind through redemption that only he could provide. So he is that promised king or the Messiah who would bring about spiritual restoration. And so he preaches a message to repent just like John the Baptist preached a message to repent. But I want you to see also the, the transformative power of the gospel. He says at the end of this that he's visited all the, the, the cities and he is healing every sickness and every disease among the people. 
And so the gospel has, we know the gospel has power to change. But if you're thinking of this from a New Testament, first century standpoint, the king has come and the people are not recognizing the king. Or how would the people recognize that he's the king? If he is the king of the kingdom, which he is, then he has the power as the king, the creative power as God, because he is God. And so he's going to demonstrate that power, authenticating the message of the kingdom. If he's truly the king, then he has power over all parts of creation, and he proves it. Notice the, the wording here is that he heals every, every sickness and disease. It does not mean he healed every single person who had a sickness or a disease. It means he healed every single kind of sickness and every single kind of disease, thus proving there's nothing in this sin-stained world that he cannot handle. That's the point. That's the point of the passage. It doesn't mean that every person who had any kind of blemish or failure of their body or disease or sickness or, or any malnormality, that he, he fixed them. It means he displayed he has the power to take care of all of it. Absolute creative authority. He has authority over every ramification of sin. And that's what he was demonstrating. So he's proving that he is the king of the kingdom. He's authenticating the message. And yet it's not about the healing. Now, just so you understand the ramifications of what I'm saying, we're actually given a small dose of what he's done. Would you, I, I've got great headings in my Bible and then they're very helpful and I'm going to use them right now. If I go back to chapter 8, I'm start, I start verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1 with a heading above my, um, ab, among the first verse that says, Jesus cleanses a leper. And then in verse 5, Jesus heals a centurion's servant. And then in verse 14, Jesus heals Peter's a mother-in-law. And then in verse 16, it says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and Jesus casts out the demons. And then in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 23, he gets into a boat, and he demonstrates that he has power over the wind and the waves. They obey him. In chapter 8, verse 28, he uh, encounters two demon-possessed men, and he heals them. In chapter 9, verse 1, he forgives and heals a paralytic man. Then he calls a tax collector to himself. And then he answers questions. Then in verse 18 of chapter 9, he restores a, a young girl. We, we know from uh, Mark chapter 5, 22 and Luke 8, 41 that it's Jairus' daughter, and he heals her. In fact, he does the unthinkable, and he raises someone from the dead. In fact, even before he goes to heal that young woman, he stops his journey because a, an old woman who has a disease that has afflicted her body for decades touches the hem of his garment. And he stops, even though she's already been healed, he stops to minister to her spiritually. And we, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. If I was Jairus, I probably would have been grabbing the other hem of his garment and trying to, to pull him along. In verse 27, he heals two blind men. In verse 32, he causes a mute man to be able to speak. 
Listen, Jesus has already been demonstrating that he has absolute authority over sin, sickness, death, disease, any form. That is the power of God alone. And now he goes to every city in that region. Not, he's not just uh, going along the border of, Ga- of the, the lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. He's, that's what he's been doing. He's been kind of uh, fluctuating from one side to the other, uh, going up uh, Tiberias and Magdala and Bethsaida and Capernaum, and then getting in a ship and crossing over and doing it again. He's, he's been where most of the people are. It is the epicenter of Galilee, the most populated region, and yet then he travels out to the less populated. And he's healing every sickness, every kind of sickness, and every kind of disease. Jesus is demonstrating that he alone is God. And Jesus will accomplish his will. Now, he doesn't always do it in the time frame that we anticipate or the manner in which we we desire, but he always accomplishes his will. And yet we see here in this, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, we see that he is tender to the pain and the needs of the people. He is moved by the spiritual condition of, of the people. In fact, the phrase moved with compassion, it could also be translated, he yearned in his bowels. I like moved with compassion a little bit better, don't you? We wouldn't say it that way. In fact, we would even, in in our common language, it means the same thing to say he was broken in his heart. It's the same thing. It's just in in the Bible times, they, they, they treated the the bowels as the seat of emotion. We treat the heart. Is the heart any more emotional than the large intestines? No, no. He's making a point. He feels such deep emotion. In this case, pain and pity that he, he must act. And you've you've probably felt the same way before, where literally your insides are aching because of the pain that you see someone else in. I hope. And that's what's happening with Jesus. It's just it's happening with strangers. Of course, they're not really strangers to him. And so he's moved with compassion. But actually, what is it? It's not... The fact that he sees a leper or a blind man or a mute man, it's not that he sees them in their, their physical discomfort or physical pain, and that's what moves him. That's not what is moving him here. In fact, look at the passage. It says, Jesus goes to all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And so Jesus is moved with compassion. And so we see the compassion of Christ here. And it's not the the physical need that he's seeing. It's the need for the gospel that moves him. It's the spiritual condition of the people. Because there's two words that are used here. And and it's weary and scattered. We're going to look at them in just a minute. But that's what moves him. 
He's moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. The people are distressed. Weary means to be troubled or harassed. Maybe your translation reads fainted. They fainted. It's as if they were rent and mangled by constant attack and abuse and they've been beaten down. They become so weakened by the attack of of sin or the barrage of abuse that they can take it no more. Now think of that. That's what Jesus is equating the spiritual condition with an animal or a person who's been so battered and beaten and weakened that they are struggling to move anymore. Now that's not something in our culture that we see very often. Other cultures it's seen a lot more. People abused, broken, and beaten to that degree. Or animals, right? We prosecute that in our country. It's not always been that way. But that's what Jesus is seeing. Now, they're not in that physical condition. They're in that spiritual condition. The word scattered could be translated, it literally means to be thrown down or hurled. And the idea is that they've been mortally wounded when they were thrown down. They're so worn out and exhausted, they are unable to move forward anymore. So this is the spiritual condition. They're so beaten down because of sin and the the pain of this world, the spiritual pain and suffering of this world, they're so beaten down by that that they don't feel like they can move anymore. Now let me tell you, there are a lot of people in this world that feel that way. We, We just have psychological coding that we use. We say that they're depressed or filled with anxiety or or troubled or under some type of psychosis. We just use fancy words to describe the spiritual condition that's going on in people's hearts and it's affecting their very head and actions sometimes. But you know, to put it simply, they're burdened by sin. In fact, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Jesus is actually driving at a very important point here. He's going to make it in the phrase that they are like sheep without a shepherd. I titled the sermon, Lost Sheep. Why is Jesus moved with compassion? Because of the lost sheep around him. Matthew chapter 23 is a chapter of woe. Jesus is being very direct in this passage, and he's talking about the scribes and Pharisees. In fact, over and over, it starts with the phrase, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. But I want you to read verse 3 with me. In fact, to prove it, verse 2, saying that the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not. Now listen to these words. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. 
Now jump to verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. I'm going to go back to Matthew 9. Notice what Jesus has said. He saw the multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd they lack the care of the shepherd and so they are worn out exhausted and unable to be moving forward in fact let me put it this way they are unable to move towards the shepherd they don't even know where the shepherd is and why because the religious leaders have placed harassing conditions upon them. They are hindering them, literally hindering them from entering the kingdom of heaven because of the heavy religious burden that they place upon them that they cannot bear. That's what Matthew 23 just told us. The people suffer, and they suffer without any real solution or answer to the sin burdens that they toil under. And so we have Israel's shepherds here adding burdens to people that they themselves will not carry. They're, they're hammering away at the people, blow upon blow of moral things that they must do, religious truth or religious codes that they must follow, and they're just inflicting blow upon blow upon these people who are battered and unable to move forward. And Jesus sees these people and he sees the spiritual condition that they're in and he is moved. He feels incredible, deep, intense pity for them because they're sheep without a shepherd. And as the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, this pains him. Let me ask you a question. How do you keep people under the burden of sin? And we can do that. We don't have to be a religious leader to do this. We do this when we focus on religion, not their true burden. We do this when we allow people to believe that they are saved when they're not. We do this when we push a religious code or a moral system rather than the deliverance that Jesus Christ offers. This world is filled with lost sheep who are bruised and battered, and, and unless we bring them to the chief shepherd, we're not helping them with their burdens. So let me put it in the positive. How do you lead people how do you lead those who are burdened and heavy laden? How do you lead them to the one who lifts burdens? We sang a minute ago, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Burdens aren't lifted at Trinity. Burdens aren't lifted by you. They're lifted by Jesus Christ alone. And that's why he's moved with compassion. But so often we are, we are laden down with our own care that we don't care about the people around us. 
we are so engrossed in what's going on in our lives that, that we lack care and we lack compassion. We're not moved with compassion by the spiritual condition of other people around us because we even tell ourselves, well, that's up to them. That's between them and God. And yet, what does Jesus say here in this passage? He says in verse 37, then he, so he sees the people. He's moved with compassion. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus Christ suffers under the same burdens that you and I suffered. We're told that. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And he endured the pain and the suffering. In fact, uh, Hebrews 12, 3 says he endured such hostility from sinners against himself. And we are told to consider him. And endured in that passage means he remained under the, the inf- affliction, but he remained under with fortitude and perseverance. And he challenges us in that passage to consider him. Consider Christ who endured such affliction. That we should endure it as well. And so Jesus turns the table from the, the, the pain that he sees as he's looking around him and he's seeing all these lost sheep, people without a shepherd, people who are struggling, and he kind of mixes the metaphor here. He turns to the disciples and he says, look around you, we're standing in a ripe field. In other words, we're standing in a field of lost sheep. And they don't know where to go. Only this field is ripe to harvest. It is ready to be harvested. These sheep are burdened. They are heavy laden and they need the good shepherd. They need their burdens to be lifted. And so he uses this word, truly, or, or uh, maybe uh, you, might, you might see a different form of this word, indeed. But it means to be sure or of surety. And so this word truly means, it literally means to be sure. And it's highlighting a contrast. So he's about to give a command for the disciples to follow in response to the lost condition of the sheep around him. Because of the condition of the world, the lost sheep, here's what the disciples are supposed to do. So he's giving them a command. Truly, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, and here's the purpose, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest, by the way, unless gathered, what happens to a field that is ripe unto harvest? It rots and decays and is useless. No farmer would look out over a field of, of corn, I'll put, I'll put it in, in our context here, would look over a field of corn that's ready to be harvested and say, yep, somebody should take care of that. He'd be a bad farmer, wouldn't he? Jesus is saying, the religious people, I'll use the term loosely, the religious people of Galilee are looking out and they're like, yeah, somebody should probably do something about that. I ask you as a church, we live in a field that is ripe to be harvested. And when we sit back and we say, yeah, somebody should probably harvest that, 
we're basically saying, yep, those, those lost sheep out there, somebody should do something about it, but I'm not going to. And so he challenges the disciples here. There's a need. The need is for laborers. Jesus feels such pity and love for the perishing people of this world. He wants their rescue, and it breaks his heart that nobody is there rescuing them. Nobody is finding the lost sheep and bringing them to him. What's he doing? He has to go to every city and every village. He has to carry the message. No one else is bringing people to him. And he says this to the disciples. And he's chosen the disciples. And he's chosen them, in fact, to be workers in the field. Would you turn? I don't know if you need to turn. I need to turn to chapter 10, verse 1. Would you notice what happens immediately after this passage? And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of sickness and all kinds of disease. And then he lists them. Go to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out and commissioned them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter into the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the, there it is, lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He lays the responsibility of finding the lost sheep onto the disciples. It's not something that Jesus wouldn't do himself. He's already been doing it. In fact, Jesus provides the solution. But he's asking the disciples, go back to chapter 9, what's he actually asking them to do? He hasn't sent them yet. Chapter 9, he hasn't sent them. He's going to send them. But what's he asking them to do first? Pray. Why? Because prayer changes things. He's asking them to pray and align their desires with God's desires. He's already proven. He is God. He's moved with compassion at the spiritual condition. It is Jesus Christ's desire that the fields be harvested, that the lost sheep be found and gathered in, brought to him, the good shepherd. That's his desire. And he's asking the disciples to pray that they too would have the same desire. He is not telling them to pray like we do in our religious system today. Where, you know, you say, I prayed for you, and we didn't really pray. Or, hey, I'll pray for you, and then we forget. He's not telling the disciples to do that. He's telling them, you need to pray, you need to go. You need your desire changed. You need compassion. That's what he's asking them to pray for to have the viewpoint of, of God in this case. That's what he's commanding you to do. To pray. To ask God to change your desires so that they match his desire. This isn't, to, this isn't to rule God out in this. In fact, he's going to be the one who provides the power for the disciples to do the work. He is still the solution. He just wants people to carry that solution to the world around them. And so the, the harvest necessitates the hand of God. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest. Who harvests? It's the Lord. 
the Lord of the harvest, to send out labors. And this is not saying, oh, we need to pray and, and plead with God that God would act. God is ready to act. He's asking you to be a part of it. And so it's interesting, this word send forth, that he would send out laborers. It's the same word that we read in verse 25 is to cast down. So just like these sheep have been beaten and cast down, they've been, it's like throwing seed. It's the same word for harvest, or throwing seed out into the field. And he's asking you to, be, to go out into the field and do the work. Because God is in the business of making disciples who look for lost sheep. I don't think I even need to really state that. It's literally what he's doing in this passage. He is building disciples who go and find lost sheep. So here's the point. Jesus is moved with compassion when he saw the heavy burden of sin and the spiritual struggle that his community was under. The people are exhausted they're on the verge of breaking down. They are literally collapsing physically, mentally, morally. They're collapsing under the burden of their sin that they don't even understand as, as, as a sin burden. In fact, what does Jesus tell us just a little bit later? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can I ask you right now, is your heart moved with compassion, compassion by the spiritual exhaustion of the world around you? The sin burdens? I mean, do we want to be in business with God of going out and finding the lost sheep and bringing him to him that he can lift their burdens? Just like your burdens were lifted. And so I'm going to ask you right now in closing if you would pray. I think that's the most appropriate response. Would you pray? Would you pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers? Would you align with God on this? And here's how I'm going to ask you. to. I'm going to be very specific. I'm going to be more specific than Jesus Christ was here. I'm going to ask you to pray that the Lord would impress upon your heart one lost sheep. And I'm going to ask you, would you commit this week to pray each and every day for that lost sheep? And I guarantee you, if you do that, by the end of the week, you're, you will have opportunity to interact with that lost sheep and tell them where their burdens can be lifted. I actually don't want to sing to close. I'm going to ask the piano to come play. I'm going to pray. And I want you to just take some time with the Lord and ask the Lord to change your burdens. So would you pray with me? We hope that today's message has challenged you spiritually and has been an encouragement to you in your walk with the Lord. For more information about Trinity Baptist Church or if you have questions about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us on our website at tbcwestfield.com or on Facebook or Instagram 
at TBC Westfield. Thank you so much for listening today. Join us again next time for more Preaching at Trinity.